Hello and welcome to Send Talks, the podcast brought to you by the Conservative Environment Network. I'm John Flesher, the head of Send's International Programme, and I'm joined today by my colleagues... Lindsay Jones, Climate Programme Manager. And James Connemore, um, Senior Nature Programme Manager. And uh, today uh, we'll be discussing Net Zero Week and the Climate Change Committee's latest progress report on the UK's decarbonisation efforts. The environmental challenge which confronts the whole world, demands an equivalent response from the whole world. This is the start of a whole series of processes that will need to go on for the rest of your life and far beyond it in order to protect the environment. Instead of making excuses tomorrow to our children and grandchildren, we should be taking action against climate change today. Conservatism and conservation are natural allies. We will build back and bounce back greener, and this government will lead that green industrial revolution. Lindsay, happy Net Zero Week. Tell us about it. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm 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 pretty pumped for this. If you guys haven't noticed in the office, of course. Um, yeah, it's Net Zero Week, so it's it's essentially just a, a national awareness campaign, um, an opportunity to reflect on our progress, push for more, and and reach out to people about what Net Zero actually means because it is a bit of a sort of, um, I don't know, kind of wonky language, I think, sometimes. Um, so this is an opportunity for us to, to publish some cool videos, check out our social media, um, and uh, explain a bit more about Net Zero and what we're actually doing. Uh, and in that spirit, oh, are you going to explain to us <laughs> and de-wonkify Net Zero and explain to us what Net Zero actually is? Yeah, yes, I, I, I knew this was coming. Um, and Net Zero is... Uh, but, okay. It's essentially um, reducing emissions. So by 2050, the UK has committed to reduce emissions as much as possible um, to, to get to net zero and, and offset uh, bits that we, we can't do by improving energy efficiency and um, travelling in electric cars, that kind of thing. So yeah, net zero by 2050 is reducing emissions as much as we can. Uh, so yeah, very important for reducing our impact on um, on climate uh, and bringing the rest of the world along with us at the same time, hopefully. And you said uh, that by 2050 there are certain things that we won't be able to have cut emissions from that will have to be offset through technological means like carbon capture or nature-based solutions like tree planting or uh, peatland restoration. What are the, the sort of harder-to-abate areas, the areas we, we won't be able to eliminate emissions based on, on our current trends and current knowledge? Yeah, there are quite a few actually. I mean, the, the main one that I work on in the sort of um, transport realm is aviation. So we're still going to need to get to places around the world. We're still going to want to go on holiday. Um, and yeah, airplanes are at the moment not quite there yet. And I think by 2050, it'll be a massive challenge. There are also, as you say, kind of hard to bait sectors like steel manufacturing, um, ceramics to a certain degree. Uh, these kind of heavy industry which require a lot of energy to um, produce materials. Um, so for those kind of industries we will need to offset some of that um, where we can't reduce emissions through efficiency improvements, technological advancements as you mentioned. But I think to, to sort of flip to the positive side, it, it's three years since we passed net zero into law in the UK and in that time you know, we, we've not got as far as we need to in some sectors and we'll talk about that later but we have actually been able to make huge progress uh, oh absolutely yeah i mean we're three years into this um so it's it's not 
a short-term project. Net zero and everywhere, not just in the UK, is a long-term goal. Um, I think in the UK, it's particularly important for the sort of levelling up agenda. Um, offshore wind, for example, I mean, that is, um, it's got the potential to employ 100,000 people by 2030. Um, so these are really high-skilled jobs, better-paid jobs, uh, electric car manufacturing, hydrogen production. Um, this is all going to be bringing investment into local areas, and particularly areas that um, the Conservative government are focusing on with this levelling up agenda. Um, and so, Lindsay, we we published a video um, from one of uh, the MPs in the the Sen Caucus, Chris Skibble, um, this week, and he was talking about net zero being a, a fundamentally conservative mission. Um, can you just sort of expand on on that and the, the argument that, that Chris was making? Yeah, I think uh, in the past we tend to focus on nature as being the conservative mission, as restoring nature, land gener uh, intergenerational responsibility. But that is just as important for this net zero mission as well, because um, we want to have, as I've already mentioned, jobs for our young people um, and the uh, generations that have relied on factories and industry in the past that may have been left behind a little bit. Net Zero is an opportunity for them, um, and part of the Net Zero mission is including the private sector, which again, the Conservatives are the best party for, um, you know, bringing in new business. Net Zero fundamentally is going to bring in um, new industries. I'm going over the same things now a little bit, but it's because they're so important, um, and the videos that we're putting out this week are hammering home that message. Um, not only is net zero the, the journey that we are and should be on, um, but it's the conservatives that should be leading mm. the way. Um, and it's, it's also, it fits quite nicely with um, um, correcting market failures because um, the kind of climate change problem is, is a consequence of market failure, the fact that, that carbon pollution currently or previously hasn't been priced properly um, and therefore um, uh, business and the private sector haven't been incentivized to find other ways of, of going about their business which doesn't um, pollute the, the atmosphere and net zero is about addressing that market failure um, and moving the economy towards um, delivering outcomes which don't harm the natural environment. Yeah, it's, it's not a, a small thing, like I said we're, we're three years into this, we've got a long term target for a reason because this is wide scale like change. Um, and it does mean, as you said, pricing carbon correctly. Um, you know, investment companies, for example, need to be thinking about climate risk, not just for their investments, but also um, for insurance purposes. Without getting into the into the weeds on on financial services, um, you know, these things haven't been done in the past, and that's why we're in the state that we're in now. Um, so it's fantastic that we're seeing change. We're, we're seeing that happen, and that is partly because of some of the policies that have come in. But I do think this mind shift towards net zero is just as important because it is sort of permeating a lot of business frameworks now, um, local area thinking. Uh, I mean, politicians, as we've already mentioned, uh, are paying much more attention to this. Um, and part of Net Zero Week is, again, continue, continuing that, that message um, hopefully to reach a wider audience. Um, John, can I ask you about the international dimension? Um, because Lindsay's um, kind of focused on the, the, the domestic kind of case for, for Net Zero and, and how it can support other 
policy objectives um, and boost jobs and skills and, and industry. Um, but also it's about the UK's role in the world stage as well. Um, it can improve our energy and, and food security, uh, make us more uh, resilient um, and less exposed to um, fossil fuel exporting um, authoritarian states like Russia. But it also it can provide a, a leech opportunity for the UK um, and a, a uh, a rallying point for kind of UK diplomacy. Um, could you obviously involved with convening consensus around COP26 in the international program. Can you sort of expand on on how um, our advisory agenda has kind of propelled the UK's influence on the on the world stage? Well, a- absolutely, and I think Net Zero has been really crucial at building stronger relationships across the world. And one of the good things about the UK hosting COP, aside from the actual achievements that were generated at COP, is that we we had an opportunity. And don't forget, three years ago, we became the first major economy in the world to sign up to net zero. When the UK became the COP uh, president designate at the end of uh, COP25 in 2019, I think only about 30% of the world's economy had signed up to net zero targets. That figure now, as we're sort of coming towards the end of our presidency, the COP27 in uh, this November, it's now over 90%. So you've seen a huge shift, not just in the UK. I think we were trailblazers in terms of, of legislating for net zero and, and saying we needed to do this. But this is something that most of the world has got behind. And you could have some understandable cynicism about countries' real commitment to targets, but that's 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 embraced the fact that China and India and the USA and the EU have all signed up to net zero targets of varying dates and we need to make sure they're ambitious enough. But we so often hear the line, the UK is only 1% of emissions. What's the point in us doing anything about it? Well, the, the, the points are twofold. Firstly, we're not the only ones doing anything about it anymore. And secondly, this is something to get ahead on. This is something we can have huge material advantages if we decide to be the ones who are going to get ahead in those new technologies that Lindsay's spoken about. We're going to be making the EVs here. We're going to be developing offshore wind. We're going to be getting into some of these new technologies like green steel or clean hydrogen. Those are exactly the sort of things that people will want to buy from the UK. They'll want our intellectual property. They'll want our skills base. They'll want to see how we've done it. And this is a mission that pretty much the whole world is now on to one extent or another and we, we should be the ones trying to get ahead and using our influence to blaze a trail that everyone else is going to follow. Let's also not forget the current context that we're talking about this in in terms of like Russia's invasion of Ukraine and spiralling um, gas prices. Net zero does provide that missing link um, for a lot of people. If we're developing our own renewable energy sources off, you know, in Britain, it's reducing our reliance on on Russia and foreign imports. Um, you know the international angle and, and diplomacy is is so important, but this obviously links in a very real way to the cost of living situation that we're currently in. Um, and pursuing net zero should be the primary focus of how we get out of this situation. It is not holding us back; it is the way out of it. Um, and uh, yeah, the international dynamic only strengthens the case for net zero, in my opinion. No, 100%. And I think you saw at the uh, G7 last week, you know, one of the sort of less trumpeted announcements was this announcement of this climate club that, that the G7 leaders are going to sort of set up of the sort of ambitious nations coming together. And I think that wouldn't have happened without the Russian invasion of Ukraine. What you've got is countries, you know, big economies across the world, of which the UK is one, saying we need to start 
being more ambitious, pulling together and working together in order to respond to, to Russian ag- aggression. And defunding Vladimir Putin's war machine yeah. is what's going to happen. You know, it is undoubtedly true that had we pursued net zero more aggressively and earlier, we would, and the whole of Europe, would be much, much less exposed to what's happening at the moment in Russia. So you know, we, we've said it, all of us at Sen, and we'll keep saying it till we're blue in the face, you, you cannot respond to a gas price crisis by relying more on gas you've got to rely less on it and this net zero and pursuing net zero on the demand side and on the supply side is just going to be so crucial for for achieving that yeah we do need to ditch the fossil fuels need to need to improve home energy efficiency as you said it is it's two-sided supply and and demand of these things and i think we're we're doing fairly well on the supply side mm. am i right kind of renewable energy i think we're actually we're doing half mm. okay on right yeah yeah i think so but i think as you pointed out the challenge is then the demand side particularly and sense going to have a lot more to say about this in the coming weeks particularly on the subject of, of insulation and mm. about how we can make people's homes more energy efficient which you know don't forget is really good for people with high energy bills not just for making sure that we stick two fingers up at Vladimir Putin. <laughs> on the um, on the kind of renewable energy side that we seem to be doing fairly well on, the CCC um, report, the Climate Change Committee um, report came out last week um, on where we're currently at. Um, first of all, like, can you just say a bit about the CCC in general? Because I think there's a couple misconceptions, um, and uh, it kind of just gets kind of swept along in the whole net zero debate and actually is it is an important point yeah, absolutely. So the, the Climate Change Committee has been established in, in UK law since the Climate Change Act of, of 2008, and it's an independent body, but on a statutory footing, which advises on the UK's climate change strategy and, and now more specifically on our net zero uh, targets since we've, uh, since we've adopted that. Now, there's a lot of talk in, in more sceptical circles that this is some sort of Machiavellian powerful body that is there driving this evil net zero agenda and it really couldn't be further from the truth. This is an expert body that produces reports, produces guidance that it's obliged to and that the government's then obliged to respond to, but the government is not, absolutely not, obliged to follow the CCC's recommendations. They choose to do so, sometimes they do and sometimes they don't, but the CCC's become a really, really important expert body advising the government on what it's doing and on how it could possibly do it. And what we've seen last week is the CCC's annual progress report detailing how the government's doing with regard to that target and it's fair to say that the news was pretty mixed you know the government's ambition and the government's targets are world leading one of the only countries in the world that's got targets that are absolutely compatible with what they need to be by 2050 in order to to stave off the worst effects of climate change the problem is that we're not doing enough to deliver the, the reductions needed. We've, we've halved emissions almost, about 47% on, on 1990 levels, but we've got to be going a lot further and a lot faster um, in, across the economy in order to reach net zero by 2050. And Lindsay, this is a very patchy area. You pointed out renewable energy being a success story, EVs, uh, the you know, electric vehicles. CCCs, sorry, electric Keeps vehicles. Keep saying EVs. I do. Yeah. Yes, I'm, I'm falling into the acronym trap. Electric <laughs> vehicles are, electric cars certainly are, uh, the, the CCC is very uh, much approved of the government's policy in that area. 
it's a lot weaker in other areas. And you know, the, the CCC has been pretty concerned about the gap in policy on areas like energy efficiency, which we've touched on, and reducing uh, emissions in, in agriculture. So definitely a bit of a mixed bag uh, in, in terms of a um, report. Um, I, I mean, I think on those areas, Lindsay, on, on the energy efficiency point, you know, where are we at in terms of government policy at the moment and, and what needs to change? We're severely lacking. Let's... <laughs> I mean, it, there's no point, like... You know, skirting around the issue, the Britain's homes are very poorly insulated, um, and this is such an important issue because it won't just bring down bills temporarily. It's a permanent solution to bringing down people's bills, and as we really talked about in the current context of massively high gas prices, which is the majority of you know households um, heat their homes by gas, it is a huge issue um, and I think it's quite a glaring hole in, in government policy at the moment actually so I mean um, Sen is doing some work on it and we're working with some fantastic MPs to, to hopefully get some movement on this um, but what we really need to do is rather than paying out like billions every six months we need an actual program a plan of how we're going to upgrade people's homes particularly the fuel poor um, but also there's people that are probably at risk of being fuel poor that might not qualify for support at the moment but also trapped in this spiral of having higher bills, can't afford to improve their homes and therefore have high bills. It's this, this, this spiral that we need to break. Um, and I think there's a, there's a combination of things that we can do. I won't get into too much detail, but first of all, we need, we need to retrofit homes. Um, and we need the current, current government programmes that do local delivery are actually not bad. They're pretty good, um, but they're not big enough, you know, for the current situation. We need to scale those up. Um, and also for the people that can afford some of the, this stuff, we need them to be putting it in. You know, we need the people that have some disposable income to be putting in a lot of this stuff and incentivising them to do it so that it then for becomes cheaper for the rest of the population. Um, anyway, yeah, I'm going on a bit of a rant here. Uh, <laughs> there is so much that we can do. Um, but yeah, I think, I think um, the government really needs to pull the finger out on this one. And I think the same goes for agriculture, which um, I'm sure James can... Well, yeah, absolutely. Go on a probably similar rank to, to mine. <laughs> well, yes, James, the, the CCC's pointed out there's a, there's a huge gap in, in policy and reducing emissions in agriculture and land use, which you know, make up a significant and, uh, as we cut other areas, growing proportion of, uh, of the UK's emissions. What needs to happen in that area? Um, so there is a policy gap, um, but I think it's worth noting that in England we are further ahead than the devolved um, authorities. So um, agriculture is a devolved policy area, um, so we have se separate um, policies in, in England, um, Scotland, Wales and, and Northern Ireland. And the Conservative government um, in England um, is doing something which is world leading and, and pioneering and, and it's, it's not, not been done anywhere else in the world and that is to move from a system of, of uh, payment um, subsidy based on how much land you own, which was the um, system that we inherited from the European Union, as uh, so area-based payments to a system of payment for um, the delivery of environmental or public goods like clean air and water, carbon sequestration um, and more abundant wildlife. Uh, that is crucial to reducing uh, emissions from agriculture, but it's, it's not an easy thing 
to do and we're on a seven year transition up to 2028 we phase out the old um, what are the basic payments EU star subsidies and move towards a system um, the new schemes which will pay farmers for um, environmental improvements um, and alongside that the government's published a, a food strategy with a big focus on um, sustainability and productivity improvements so um, producing more food while reducing or, or, or our environmental footprint again that's really important to getting uh, to reducing emissions from from agriculture um, so I think you know DEFRA are um, making progress and you know we're, we're ahead of other countries uh, many other countries in this area including the other um, uh, devolved um, authorities in, in Britain um, but CCA pointed out there's there's gaps um, that need to be need to be filled. I think it's quite telling that you know we've had like a heat and building strategy for decarbonisation. We've had a transport decarbonisation strategy. Obviously, we've had the net zero. So many strategies. There has not been one. Am I right? Just setting out a long term goal for the agricultural sector, which, as we know from you know like fertiliser use and other land mm-hmm. uses, you'll be able to tell us is a major issue and we do need that long-term strategy which mm. we, might not, we don't really have. So emissions from agriculture have basically been the same for the last decade or so. Reduction has been, has been glacial, I think it was the UCC's language. Um, <laughs> and um, you're right that we haven't had a kind of land and agriculture decarbonisation strategy but in, in the food strategy this was taken forward on the recommendations which uh, Henry Dimbleby made. Henry Dimbleby is the food entrepreneur who led the um, National Food Strategy Review and made recommendations to government, uh, which they res- government responded to uh, very recently. Um, and the government, one of the recommendations which the government have taken forward um, is to publish a, a land use strategy for England. And you know, this is about kind of mapping out how we meet the, the kind of triple challenge of food production, uh, nature recovery, and kind of land-based carbon removals. Um, and uh, as part of that, I think there'll be some of the, some answers to the, the questions that the CC are, are rightly asking. Um, so that's, that's, that's one to watch. Um, and I think the other thing to say about agriculture is the story is quite similar to the story that you've told, Lindsay, on, on energy. I mean, the input prices for farmers have been going up essentially with global gas prices because inputs like uh, fuel and, and fertiliser are produced um, using, yeah, using gas. it's hitting everyone, yeah. So, so the, the answer is to, like on energy, is to reduce our reliance on, on um, manufacturing inputs linked to the price of gas. And uh, that's precisely what the government's um, new environmental land management scheme, the new um, subsidy scheme, uh, will do um, by, for example, paying farmers to plant um, uh, plants and crops which fix nitrogen in the soil, so reducing their um, requirement for for synthetic fertilizer, uh, as one example. So, um, you know, and I think setting that out, they have set it out um, as part of their um, Elms um, policy. Um, but um, perhaps in the land use strategy uh, coming next year, there'll be more detail on how we'll kind of meet these meet these targets. I think we focused a lot, understandably, because the CCC has as well about where the gaps are. And I think, you know, as Conservatives, I don't know about you, but I I hear the word strategy and I hear the word target and I sort of feel slightly uncomfortable and I think, oh goodness, really not again. But actually, I think it really bears repeating that, you know, as Lindsay said earlier, we've had this strategy in the UK, we've had this target, sorry, the 20... 
50 net zero target in the UK for three years. The nature of that target is that you are going to have to spend a lot of time getting your ducks in a row with creating the strategy, with developing the policy, and then you've got to go up and get on and do it. And I think the real challenge now, particularly in the face of, of what we're seeing with the cost of living crisis, with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, is to actually not back away. It's to really double down and see that action. That's the challenge we've got. You know, the, and the nature of net zero is we, we can't get to 2050 and then turn all the emissions off. This has got to be a process of reducing it over time. You know, there's a lot of evidence. One of the things that is a great concern at COP26, COP27, a lot of the other international negotiations is we've got to deliver before 2030 if we actually want to make net zero by 2050 a reality. Carbon, in very simplistic terms, stays in the atmosphere for a long time. You can't just keep emitting it and then one day, oh, well, we're going to stop emitting it and think it's fine. You've got to be reducing it over time. We've got to be on a pathway to doing it. The good news for the UK is that we've got the targets to do that. We're starting to fill in the gaps. We've now really, really got to double down and have the action required to deliver it. And that's how we're going to make net zero a reality. But I'm personally very optimistic we can do that. I Thing. I've talked about the number of countries that are moving in that direction. You talked earlier, Lindsay, about the number of businesses that are moving in that direction. They're not doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. They're doing it because they understand the huge challenge of climate change, but also at the same time because they've recognised the huge, huge opportunities that there are yeah, for yeah. jobs, for growth, for regional development, which is something that's applicable across every country in the world. I, I think we've got a hugely optimistic um, and hugely positive story to tell with Net Zero. We just need to make it happen. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give another plug to Net Zero Week and our our social media because not gonna lie, we've done a great job. Um, the MPs that we've worked with have been absolutely incredible. But Net Zero, if we get this right, we are gonna level up the country. We're gonna have better jobs. We're gonna have better international ties. We're gonna have better transport links. We're gonna have opportunities for new industries and new businesses across the country that is that is the goal that's the potential there as you said john we just need to like get a move on kind of thing you know get a move on get this going get it done yeah there you go no, so we've just solved solved climate change guys well done uh, if well done. only but um yeah <laughs> if, if you take one message away net zero what's not to love there you go um, Brilliant. Okay, well, thank you very much to Lindsay and James uh, to joining us this week. Uh, and if you want to find out more about SEN, do go to our website, cen.uk.com, uh, and email us at info at cen.uk.com if you've got a question or something you'd like us to cover. Um, thanks very much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.